0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of ECFR and this week we're going to have a different kind of ECFR podcast. We've often heard that people's favourite part of the podcast is the bookshelf segment, And this week, rather than squeezing that in at the end, as we sometimes remember to do, the entire podcast is an extended bookshelf segment. And if you listen carefully in the background, you'll hear the lapping of the waves of the Black Sea against the rocks of Bulgaria. And hopefully that will uh, create uh, an atmosphere where people will be dreaming of books and and summer reading. I have an all-star cast of of colleagues um, to help me think about three different kinds of books. Firstly, what kind of books people are reading uh, about foreign policy in this very dramatic period in global politics in the different capitals around Europe. Secondly, what kind of books my colleagues think we should be reading to understand the world we're in. And thirdly, if people aren't that interested in the world but are in search of escapism, what are the best things to read to get away from it all for a few hours and forget about Brexit and Donald Trump and the rise of ISIS and the terrorist attacks that are floating through Europe and, and all the other uh, horrible things that have been keeping us awake at night for the last few uh, months and which will no doubt uh, return when, when the holiday season is over. So uh, first up, we have uh, Vesela Cheneva, who is the, the head of our SOFIA office, as well as programs director at ECFR. We also have... Uh, Silvia Francescon from um, Rome, head of our Rome office. We have uh, from London, uh, Ulrike Franke, who uh, is the researcher behind the the podcast, but has also um, been looking at what French and German people are reading, as well as her own uh, studies. From Madrid, we have Borja Lascheras, who is the the head of our Madrid office and also sitting here in Bulgaria we have Ivan Krastev who's a board member of ECFR and the chairman of, of liberal strategies so the center for liberal strategies even so given that we're in Bulgaria maybe um, start with you uh, Vesla what are people in Bulgaria reading about the world that we're in um it was very
1: interesting for me to find out that number one uh, most read fiction book is a book by Oriana Falaci. Um, um, it's called The Force of Reason and it's uh, the second book after 9-11 that she wrote. Uh, it's about um, how Islam is seeing from her perspective what kind of, not religion, but ideology it is. And uh, in her view, how receptive Europeans have been uh, and how dangerous, uh, in her view, the penetration of Islamism has been in Europe. This book, as I said, uh, was written in the aftermath of 9-11. And she basically claims that Europe is in danger and that Europe has... Um, no guts to cope uh, with uh, Islamism and is being infiltrated. Uh, This book uh, caused a lot of uh, discussions uh, back then, I remember, in the U.S. and in Europe. But it's very interesting that uh, the Bulgarian readers seem to be uh, to be rereading it now. Uh, it has been uh, translated. A new edition of it, uh, it has come out, and uh, uh, both this book and uh, Rage and Pride uh, have been uh, on on the top of the nonfiction best-selling books.
0: Wow! So, what's Rome reading, Sylvia?
2: Yes, uh, there's not much foreign policy in the in the um, Favourite books of Italians, as always, but uh, I found some interesting things. Uh, first of all, we have a book from Lucio Caracciolo, who is the director of the geopolitical magazine Vimes in Italy, and co-authored with Massimo Cacciare, former uh, mayor of uh, Venice, and it's called Without War. But actually, it says that we are very, very close to um, different kind of wars. Uh, Now Europe is, again, surrounded by conflicts, as we know, but uh, there is a a very important war draft that we are um, going to uh, fight, and that is the cultural one, and uh, actually it is based on the assumption that war could regain its ancient crucial nature. So it looks at uh, uh, the concept of war from uh, different perspectives, including historical, geopolitical, philosophical, literally, and uh, actually perhaps uh, we are not encountering revolutions in the world, but rather wars. So, so this is uh, something that uh, it's on, uh, among the top 100 uh, books in Italy. And then we have uh, something more perhaps uh, closer uh, to the very, very... Uh, last hours so like The Fever of Trump, uh, an American phenomenon, written by Mattia Ferraresi, who is a journalist. And uh, he makes uh, uh, the uh, he, he tells basically who is Donald Trump and talks about Trumpism and uh, about this man who speaks uh, a very, very simplified language of tweets, uh, maximum <laughs> to extent. Things like that, and um, the closer we get to the elections, I think uh, uh, the more this book is going to be read because uh, the fever is getting pretty high, especially in terms of uh, being worried about who is going to win these elections. And then we have something more, um, also, uh, more on on what uh, is a very important idea to Italy, it is uh, a book. Uh, written by uh, Valerio Calzolaio and Telmo Pirani, is Free to Migrate. It's called Why We Always Move and That's Okay. And I think it's an important book and uh, it explains how humans evolved also thanks to migration. And this is why, uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, it's good to guarantee the freedom to migrate, especially uh, when you have worse, climate change, political, social, economic emergencies. And uh, there is a sort of a forced uh, flow. And it means, of course, uh, that uh, we must uh, protect the right uh, to remain in, uh, in, in, in the country, but also to have this open mind and freedom to migrate, and that's okay, it's not, it's not so terrible. Um, another book that has been pretty much read in these days in Italy is a book called Infiltrated in Molenbeek, my investigation in the European cradle of Islamic terrorism. And uh, no surprise that people are looking at uh, this uh, phenomenon, of course. And uh, it's, uh, it's called The Little uh, Molenbeek and Saint-Jean, it's called The Little Morocco, of Brussels. And it is a sort of a lucid report of uh, the month spent by the author, who is Hind Fahini, is a Moroccan origin journalist, in the heart of the European Islamic uh, radicalism, if you want. And uh, it talks about, about uh, the surrounding, about the place, how women are forced to silence, and invisibility, their invisibility by the burqa. Uh, the recruiters committed to seeking new recruits for the conflicts in the Middle East, etc., et So this is another, another thing, another book that has been uh, has been read by
0: Italians. Great! Wow! So Italians seem to be pretty into foreign policy compared to certainly Brits. Um, I'll come to the British bestseller list a bit a little later, but. Uh, Ulrike, you were looking at both the German and the French best-selling list. What's uh, what's, uh, being read in Berlin and Paris at the moment?
3: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting what Sylvia said about books on refugees because at least last year, and especially over Christmas last year, um, loads of books I saw were on refugees in Germany. um, That seemed to have dialed down somewhat. So what I found quite striking, if you look at the non-fiction best-selling list in Germany, the first five books or so are all very much not on politics. So just, you know, the kind of first titles are The Soul of Animals, uh, The Secret Lives of Trees, uh, The Dalai Lama. So I feel that in Germany we're kind of living through some kind of Biedermeier period where we where we're looking at the, the nice things in life rather than um, politics. Now, the first book uh, on the best-selling list that actually is about politics is a book by Sarah Wagenknecht, who is a left-wing politician, German politician, and she has published a book called Reichtum ohne Gier, Wealth Without Greed, um, which I thought was, was was very interesting to see that that's what, what Germans are reading. But of course, there's also the, the right-wing uh, Of uh, political life so a few places below is um, another book by Tilo Sarrazin and some of our readers may know that Tilo Sarrazin a while back um, published a book and that was extremely critical of the government and very right-wing if not to say xenophobic and he has another book out now um, again on whether we uh, the Germans are being governed the right way it's called Wunschdenken. I haven't read it yet and I don't think I I will read it but that's what, what Germany seems to be reading at the moment Um, and another observation I had is that at least you know in over the last few years we had quite a lot of world war one literature and especially in that I find quite interesting a book that's called 1913 the summer summer of the um, of the century Um, and here it is very much about you know how does it feel living in a world that is on the brink of war but not knowing it yet and I always felt that that tells you something about how, how Germans may feel, um, that, that we, we see bad things coming, but don't really know what they are.
0: But the French, the French, they know what the bad things are, don't they? What's France, really?
3: Yes, the French seem to know what the bad things are, or at least they are discussing it a lot more and, and uh, really, well, there are a lot of disputes going on, really. Um, <clears throat> so, first of all, the striking thing about what the French are reading is that uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, so former French president and maybe future French president, has a book out, La France pour la Vie, which I assume is pretty much a campaign manifesto. And uh, his book is on, on fifth place on the French bestselling list, so that may tell us about who will win the election, maybe, I don't know. Um, what I find interesting in the French debate is that they have been discussing quite a lot the link between Islamism and terrorism, much as what how, how Sylvia described it. Uh, there has been kind of a conflict between two authors, Gilles Kippel and Olivier Leroy, um, that they can't agree on what role Islam as a religion actually plays within terrorism. So whether we should blame terrorist attacks in France or elsewhere in Europe... On Islam as a religion, or rather, on our inability to integrate young Muslim or just kind of young, young foreign people, um, and that has very much dominated the debate.
0: So, their soundbite is: is it about the Islamization of radicalism or the radicalization of Islam? Okay, great. So, uh, Borja, what what are people reading in Madrid?
4: Well, I guess Mark, it largely depends on the naturally on the social segment, but basically. Uh, there are two different types of books that people are reading, especially those close to to politics and the new voices. Uh, some books regard what we call the uh, regeneration school of of Spain, given this country's political momentum. And this is the example, for instance, of uh, Philip Tetlock. His book about Expert political judgment, how good it is, uh, given the
0: forecasters.
4: Yeah, yeah. So lambasting the forecasters and given, given a number of polls which have failed miserably in Spain. So, so some people are going back to Tedlock in that regard. But there's a there's a lot of uh, impact of those uh, books regarding inequality. For instance, uh, Branko Milanovic, his book about uh, global inequality a new approach for the age of globalization and lastly still within this first school uh, you have uh victor lapuente who wrote a great book called uh, in english it would translate as the return of the shaman that is a criticism of populism and different options to to still push for a progressive agenda so these are the books that are being read out by by people uh, interested in politics and in political circles. But then in foreign policy, uh, books which are proven to be uh, uh, influential are those which regard, for instance, Syria and the mass migration. In this regard, you have, for instance, uh, a book called The Syrian Maelstrom by two journalists, Javier Espinosa and Monica Prieto. Javier uh, was abducted by ISIS and he was released some time ago, so he's, he shares a little bit of experience but the book dwells on the whole Syria conflict from the beginning of the peaceful protest through the radicalization uh, through ISIS etc then uh, another probably impactful book will be Essobo by Domenico Kiriko about the mass migration and this is a journalist that the, the um, the trip between northern africa and italy one of these boats uh crammed with with migrants and he shares experience so it's about mass migration and lastly uh, now that europe is uh, again in a process of soul searching and trying to to chart a new way for for the european project uh, we just uh, took note recently of a book called the search for europe Contrasting approaches which covers a little bit of everything from economics to foreign policy and it includes amongst others Javier Solana.
0: Great, thank you very much. So I'll tell you what what Britain's reading a bit later on but before we do that uh, Ivan Krastev has been looking at what Russians have been reading which might be even more apocalyptic than what the French are reading I suspect.
5: No, I do believe that Russians are now in a post-apocalyptic mood because before the end of the world was happening only to them and now it's shared. Uh, No, but like always, basically uh, Russians are very much reading history uh, of radical Islam is something that uh, preoccupies them a lot too. But what is also interesting is the major challenge that uh, the Russian political public now is facing is what kind of books to read about the 100th anniversary of the October revolution, the Bolshevik revolution. Because don't forget that the problem with the times in which we're living is that to a certain extent what people are reading is very much defined by what kind of celebration we faced. In 2014, we have been reading like crazy about the beginning of the World War One. so everybody was talking about sleepwalking, uh, and many of the things that happened, for example, in Crimea and others have been very much uh,
0: See for that, uh, seen presumably. from
5: this point of view. But for the Russians, how to basically perceive uh, 1917 is not an easy issue. So you have several books. Uh, there is a popular historian, Starikov. Uh, I am not going. To, I don't believe that he's going to get a professorship in Cambridge. Uh, but for example, he came with uh, uh, the view of the Bolshevik Revolution, which very much looks like the interpretation of the Maidan in Kiev, which means that it was a special operation, and this time not of the German General Staff, but of the British intelligence, who tried to clash. Russians and the Germans, which otherwise are natural allies, so you have a lot of history books. But most of his history books are the way to interpret what is happening uh, in yeah. Russia in the world today. Okay,
0: so now, uh, I, yeah, so I've been looking at the the the, uh, the main, most um, uh, influential, best-selling list in the UK, which is the Sunday Times bestseller list, and there's only one non-fiction book in the top ten. Non-fiction books that is not about diet, food, slimming, or a colouring book, and mm. that is a, a book called uh, "The Silk Roads: A New History of the World" by Peter Frankopan, and it's an attempt to to try and shift the centre of our understanding of history from a Eurocentric perspective to uh, a prism which looks at this what he sees as the kind of arteries of the world, these trading routes that linked East and West, but they've been kind of cut out of the way that we think about the world in the recent times as a, as a kind of nowhere land that was between, uh, uh, but he won't, he claims that in fact they're the kind of moral centre. And in fact, it's an interesting attempt to reperceive globalisation and to rethink where the world is at the moment. But it is interesting how there's nothing on Brexit, there's nothing on uh, anything to do with the identity crisis which seems to be going through uh britain's uh politics at the moment there is nothing by Boris Johnson. not well for the first time not the the, the next non-fiction but with a political theme is, is is more similar to boris johnson's uh territory which is uh, by the cambridge historian mary beard it's her her history of the roman empire SPQR. um anyway so that's uh that's enough of our tour of European capitals um what kind of books do you think we should be maybe go to you first Ivan. what sorts of books do you think are most useful to understand the kind of chaos that we're living in the moment so if people when they lie back on their beach uh, don't want to run away from it all but in fact want to understand what's what's dominating our news at the moment what kinds of things do you think they should be reading what are you going to be reading as well?
5: Uh, no, listen. First of all, I do believe during the summer reading the mystery books is always better because better read the real mystery books than try to make a mysterious interpretation of anything that is happening around. But I do believe that we re- live in a time in which the most interesting to read is newspapers and the old political philosophy books. Because we, when you go with the history book, uh, the real story is that we are very easily tempted to see what is happening now to what happened then you're reading about 1930s and you're sure that basically fascism is on the door but if you're living uh, reading about 1913 you're sure that uh, basically the war is on the door so from this point you're having the newspapers but also having uh, Reading, reading Machiavelli, for example, on conspiracies is not bad in order to understand what is happening in places like Turkey, how difficult it is to organize a coup. Uh, uh, so from this point of view, the good story about this old political philosophy classics is that uh, they are not bringing you to easy analogies. Uh, and I do believe this is quite important for a time like ours because we had a very clear understanding, all of us, that something radically is transforming in front of our eyes. We're living in a transition time, but this time we don't know the destination. Uh, And from this point of view, keeping uh, ourselves open for the future to kind of surprise us is probably the best way to do it. Otherwise, I'm reading now two books, which I find kind of helpful in its own way. One is a classical political science, sociology stuff written by a harvard sociologist called political epistemics and he's ans- asking a very simple questions why the german east european political police the famous stasi didn't make sense of what happened in the late 1980s why they had been surprised why the people that basically had the whole information and so on and one of the stories is that basically they became the hostage of their own ideological frameworks and i do believe it's important because we also mm. can become the hostage of our ideological frameworks and not try to see the obvious. And also I'm reading a book, the book, History of the Idea of the Realpolitik by Bois, because I do believe it's an interesting uh, to try to see where the ideas come from and not only basically use words as if they don't have history. I mean, yeah, on your on your
0: main point, we should probably recommend people also go back to the Richard Neustadt and, and Ernest May book on thinking in time, which looks at all the, exactly. the uses and abuses of, of history. Vesla, um, what, um, what do you think is useful to understand where we are at the moment?
1: I think that uh, most of the big narratives um, do not are not satisfactory at this moment. Um, I also agree that uh, historical analogies can be dangerous and can lead us the wrong way. So I have been trying to look at uh, personal perceptions of moments like this uh through the through the uh biographies of of different people at different crucial moments um i i read a book recently about an austrian diplomat uh, around the end of the austro-hungarian empire and now i'm um i'm reading the biography of a bulgarian diplomat uh, called ivan stancho he's also uh the son of a former foreign minister of Bulgaria at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, the father was, yes. And uh, um, his son was also foreign minister of Bulgaria uh, in the um, post-89 history. So this uh, gentleman, he uh, had a classical kind of European uh, 20th century career. He. Uh, studied in uh, Switzerland. He then was helping Russian refugees in the 30s in Bulgaria. He went to work in London for a chemical company, refused to get uh, British uh, citizenship and uh, returned to Bulgaria because he had to quit the job because of that, Uh, became a diplomat himself. And after 45, uh, being... um, Having been called back by the authorities, he of course refused wisely uh, to return and went to the U.S., where he got a ranch and uh, and started started doing agriculture. So this was his own way of coping with this huge change that had occurred.
0: Okay, so Borja, what are you reading uh, to understand the, the status quo? Well, the, the world—not status quo—the changing world.
4: <laughs> well, I think. Any book of Orwell, George Orwell, will be helpful nowadays. Uh, but if we don't go back to Orwell, and I think we should, uh, we can always go back to Tony Yatt and read his ill First the Land, which is a really good analysis of the crisis and the, and the crisis of political projects, collective political projects in general. Or his you know, most recent compilation, uh, When Facts Change, Otherwise, I will definitely uh, recommend uh, Timothy Snyder's Bloodlands about the, well, pretty much the, the, the massacres and the killings in, in Eastern Europe uh, during Stalin and, and Hitler, precisely in order to, to avoid these conspiracy theories, which are so popular nowadays about facts in Eastern Europe and, and war-related uh, uh, scenarios.
0: Okay, what about you, Sylvia?
2: Yes, I do think that in a world of chaos, we should not lose track of some of the hot uh, topics in the world, but that have been uh, somehow uh, forgotten because of uh, everything we know in our neighborhood. And I think one of the Biggest challenges in the world today is the environment and climate change. So, I'm very, very passionate about this, and especially I do think that the more I work in the field of foreign policy, the more I understand that sometimes, pretty often, I would say, uh, businessmen and women understand the world better than politicians. Actually, they understand what has to be done in the world before the politician arrives to understand it, because they have the vision, but they also have the pragmatism how to do things. And I'm reading this uh, amazing book, which is called The Responsible Company, uh, written by Yvonne Chouinard, who is uh, the founding father of an amazing company I will not make uh, the name of, but has been uh, defined as the coolest company in the planet by fortune in 2007. And it uh, defines the element of, of responsible business, but the amazing thing of, of, of this company and of this book is that it's a real model and influencer, is a real change maker, if you want, and has been influencing many, many businessmen and women in the world. So um, it helps also these uh, business people to go through economic changes and challenges Uh, in order, but also with a view of reducing reducing environmental footprint. So I think it's amazing to see how you can contribute uh, to a better world today uh, without losing uh, the competitiveness, actually being defined the coolest company, and not losing the quality of your products, but actually making um, your environmental decisions an asset in your daily business. So I really highly recommend The Responsible Company by Yvonne Renard.
0: Okay, what about you
2: Ulrike?
3: Well Cecilia thinks we need to know more about business to understand the world we live in and I say we need to understand more about technology and robots and cyber and drones and all these things that are very much going to be our future so i want to recommend two books on that um the first is john kag and sarah Crap's drone warfare and the other one is swarm troopers by david hambling um and both of uh, both of them very much tell us you know how how is the world already looking today in terms of technology especially in warfare but also um for other for other um operations um and wh- what is the future going to look like so yeah these would be my two recommendations and other than that i only recommend fiction because i think the summer is about fiction
0: well actually that's why i want to end with um because um you've kind of probably depressed me but even more our readers with all of these reading suggestions in terms of understanding the status quo quite a lot so if people are looking for escapism can you just mention one sort of magic carpet which each of you are going to take away to, to get away from it all um, just give us the, the, the title and we can we can have links to it on the website rather than having to describe it in greater length what's your, what's your magic carpet Ulrike, given you uh, you brought up the topic
3: yeah, my magic carpet is and has been for a very long time a book by Stefan Zweig Sternstunden der Menschheit in the original German and I looked it up and it is Shooting Stars 10 Historical Miniatures in English, very much recommended
0: sorry, that's it, sounds, it's a wonderful book, I'm not sure it's totally escapism. What about you Vesela?
1: I am uh, going to pick up uh, uh, a mystery book as Ivan recommended, I still have to choose that one.
0: Okay, and what about you Borja?
4: Yeah, definitely. Escapism, I will recommend Jack London's Star Rover about this prisoner who will uh, enter a state of suspended animation and go back to past lives. I will definitely recommend it.
0: Okay, and Sylvia?
2: Oh, definitely my best book ever <laughs> is Everest 1996 96, uh, by Anatoly Buchraff. Uh, definitely is an evasion if you think about uh, what he's talking about, the climbing of the Everest. Unfortunately, the tragedy in 1996. But uh, maybe it's not just escaping. Maybe Europe today is our own Everest, and we have to climb high in order to look farther and, uh, Perhaps, uh, you know, you encounter obstacles, but at the end of the day you can make it, or you can die.
5: (laughs) Okay, what about you Ivan? Listen, any second level mystery book works, uh, because this is the rational world which we're hoping for. Uh, because the, what is good about mystery books is at the end of the day, rationalism prevails. So don't go for fantasy. Don't go for horror. I'm reading something which is called Murder in La Fenice. If you're going to tell me is this, I'm going to recommend it. It's not better than others or worse than others. But if you want to escape, get second-hand, second-level mystery book and you're going to enjoy the summer.
0: And I, um, the last few summers of... Had a bit of Philip Roth as part of my uh, process of decompression. So um, I'm going to read uh, another Philip Roth novel, American Pastoral. Gonna be awesome. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have done, please uh, tell your friends about it through Twitter, through Facebook, write something on our Facebook page. Give us a rating or review on iTunes or SoundCloud or MixCloud or whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast. We will put links up to every single one of the books that we've recommended on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. Uh, I hope that you enjoy your own summer reading and that you get some time off to escape from the depressing geopolitical events that we're all coping with on a day-to-day basis but for now from Ivan Krastev, Vesa Chernova, Ulrika Franke, Borja Lajeras, Silvia Francescon and myself Mark Leonard it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrika Franke, and our editor is Katarina botel Attinaro.